you send in your questions, and we're um, working on them. What do you think, Nate? Thanks. Nate could probably do it. Nate, what do you think? Nate. 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 We received hundreds of questions, like a ton of questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? How do I know God's will for my life? What happened to all the dinosaurs? Should I marry Fred? Do all roads lead to God? How can I forgive my dad? Can I watch the ravens play in heaven? How do I get my husband to put the toilet seat down? Do the pastors ever disagree with each other? We don't have all the answers, but today we will tackle a few of your questions. Why? Because you asked for it. All right, good morning, everyone. My name's Luke, and I probably recognize Nate down there, same spot you were last week. And uh, this is Anthony, a member of our church and been a leader at our Edgewood campus for a long time and been involved in our local ministry, brings an international flavor to the stage, originally from Kenya, but I've uh, been in the States for the last 20 years. And we're, all, we're here because you asked for it, right? We're building this whole series around questions that, that all of us are asking and invited people to send them in, and we're trying to take those on in a, a very careful and honest and thorough way as we can and just invite God's perspective on that because it doesn't really matter what we say. We're trying to hear from God and learn from his word as much as we can. We all ask questions, right? We are question askers just as much as anyone is, and we might as well be honest about that. And it, what, uh, one of the wonderful things that we find is that God invites us to ask questions. We've been landing on this verse in James which just says, hey, if you lack wisdom, just by chance that you might need some understanding, you should ask God because he gives that wisdom. He doesn't scold us or reprimand us for asking, but he is eager to give us um, the answers and the wisdom that we seek. So that's what we're doing in this series, and we're going we're gonna to keep going. We're going to handle a few more today in um, as concise of a fashion as we can, but hopefully a helpful way to help us uh, get some good perspective on a few different questions. I'm going to get us down the road by starting with uh, this question that many people asked a version of this, and I would sum it up in this way, do all roads lead to the same place? Like when it comes to God, do all roads lead to the same place? And it's a good question, a relevant question, I think, for us. And I think that behind that, there are some concerns that we have when we ask something like that, some concerns for uh, inclusivity, for justice and fairness, because if we have a conception of God, we pro it's probably something or someone good. And we would think that that God would have some good things to offer people. And so we are concerned that, you know, the right number of people would have access to those good things. And um, I think that has led many in our culture to adopt a view of reality that's something like this, if I could use an analogy. It's as if we're sitting down to a meal and there is a buffet of different belief systems and religions on that buffet. And the task for each person then is to sort of fill their plate with whatever suits their taste whatever works for them. And the important thing is, whatever you believe, you just be sincere about that belief. And we think that all of the options are equally valid. We can't really say which one is better than the other. Or maybe there's some that you can't. Like, just like there's frog legs on the buffet, right? Some weird people will eat that. But there's at least a set of things that are kind of all equally valid. And we get nervous about anyone who would say, that the thing that they're putting on their plate is better than someone else's or that they might encourage or try to influence people to you know, eat the same thing that they're eating. 
And this view works pretty well in a a consumeristic culture where we're used to going down the cereal aisle with a thousand options. It works pretty well in an individualistic culture because it kind of leaves the individual as the uh, decider of truth and sort of determining what is real. Uh, And it kind of, it leaves us in this spot where you've seen the coexist bumper stickers that sort of everyone should just get along. We can't really say who's true and what's right. And so we should just sort of tolerate each other. And that's kind of the best we got in this see this multiplicity of belief systems. And it makes us kind of wonder, what do we do with some of the claims of the Bible? Like when Jesus makes a claim and he stands up and says, I am the way and the truth and the life in John chapter 14. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, then you'll know the Father. Then you'll know the, the creator, God. That's, that's how you know me. So we're trying to figure out what do we do with that. Well, let me, let me put forth a couple things to help us, I think, uh, just think about this question rightly when we're talking about all roads. Number one, the claim that you know, all religions are equally valid, that actually is an exclusive claim. If I were to say that, and I would say that you can't hold a belief that you know, your particular belief is more true than anyone else's, all I'm saying there is that my view of religions is superior to your view of religions. Uh, and in fact, each one of us would have to exercise a degree of faith to hold the commitments that we're making, the, the, the ways that we're interpreting reality. And my view wouldn't be automatically more verifiable than the other person's view. And so we shouldn't accept any interpretation of reality in this multiplicity of religions uh, uncritically. Right? We, should, we should investigate and, and figure out what is truly real. And the second thing is when we're asking questions, we're going down this road the most important question to ask is not some philosophical, you know, do all roads lead to the same place? But the most important question to ask is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The best thing that we can do is try to see Jesus for who he really is. If you're on a road that leads you to discovering Jesus and taking him seriously, then that's a good road to be on. It's interesting. Uh, the story that the Bible tells in the New Testament comes to a, a very interesting place in Luke chapter 24. There's some people sitting down to a meal, and I don't know if it was a buffet or what, but there is this realization that they have that the person that they're eating with is the resurrected Jesus. And they're trying to figure out what in the world does this mean? Here is Jesus in in a new resurrected body. They saw him die. They saw him buried. And now just their eyes are open to recognize this is the resurrected Jesus who existed in real time and space is now sharing a meal with them. And they're trying to figure out what does this mean? It's interesting how Jesus responds to them there in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. When Jesus tells them what's going on here, he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, which is shorthand for the Old Testament, the thing that we know as the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus draws from this, actually, Jewish story. A story that unfolds to say God is creator. He made this whole place and he continues to show up in his creation among his people to uh, deliver them from slavery, to rescue them from exile, to call them back to him. He is all the time recreating. He is redeeming and forgiving and uh, expressing his love to his people, calling them back to him. And now Jesus says, that same God is acting in me 
to do all of those same things, and he, in fact, has made new creation right here in front of you. Resurrection is happening right before your eyes, and in fact, you can be uh, involved in that story as well. I'm here to show you that and to demonstrate that to you. My empty tomb is proof that the God who has been at work in the world from the beginning is still at work and now uh, bringing life out of death. So Jesus offers himself as that proof. He doesn't appeal to a philosophy, this, a new set of ideas or a new code of ethics. He appeals to himself and his empty tomb to say, here I am. And so he says, to be a good Jew, believe in me. The, the God that you seek is now right here. There, he's not hidden from you. He's right in front of you. It's interesting, Muslims also connect with the Old Testament story in a particular way. And Jesus would say, if you want to know the God of Abraham, He's right here, right in front of you. You can know him, and uh, he wants to have a relationship with you. So we got to do something with Jesus. Jesus made very bold claims. He, he won't just be sloughed off as a sort of nice guy or a good teacher or a philosopher. No, he made very bold claims about who he was and appeared in real time. Witnesses say, testimony says, he appeared in real history and claimed these things and rose from the dead. And we have to do something with that. And, and try to see Jesus for who he is. That's the best thing that, that we can do. So then what about our, uh, our original concern for um, inclusivity and justice and fairness? Uh, because we think about, well, what about jungle tribes that never heard of Jesus? Or what about people Jesus wasn't inherent to their culture and, and so forth? Um, so I, I don't know the fate of, of all people. I don't know all of the unseen ways that God works in the world among his people. Um, I don't know where all roads lead, but what I do discover as I pursue Jesus and listen to his teaching, I can rest in the mystery of the things that, uh, rest in that mystery based on the things that I do know or that I do learn from Jesus. And number one, that God's plan is all-encompassing. He is not a God who says, I only want to uh, work with one particular culture of people. I am not being a narrow God and only trying to work with this group and exclude all others. No, it's an all-encompassing plan. It includes all of his creatures. Number two, it is a saving plan. It is a rescue plan. All kinds of our words, rescue and redemption and reconciliation and recreation and resurrection. That's what God has been doing since the beginning. That's the story that the Old Testament tells, and it's the story confirmed in Jesus. And it's, it's the whole creation and it's also individual with each one of us. Jesus says, God is here to make new creation. Redemption is going to happen in each of our lives if we want it and if we invite it. Then as far as, you know, who and who gets included in that and how do we do that? Again, we know that it's found in Christ. And we also know from Jesus' teaching that God is thoroughly just. If we think we care about fairness and justice, God cares about it way more. He reveals himself as, as the God of justice. And equally as important, God is wildly gracious and inclusive and compassionate and loving. If we have a conception of God as being those things, it's because we got it from the story uh, told in the Old Testament and then confirmed and told in the New Testament. We got it from there. So uh, the teaching of Jesus and the thing we know as Christianity has within itself the resources to critique us when we are being coercive jerks or exclusive prudes. 
The teaching of Jesus will critique us when we don't care about justice and fairness as much as God does. It will critique us when we are not being as inclusive as God calls us to be. And that just puts us in such a better place to uh, navigate the sea of the multiplicity of belief systems and religions. Way better place than just some coexist, nobody can say who's right and know what's true or anything like that. So I hope that's helpful. And Anthony, you have uh, put this into practice in a predominantly Muslim world in Mombasa and Kenya. Um, you've done a lot of work there and you still do. You carry with you the hope of the gospel. How have you approached conversations in particular with Muslims? Usually when I go to places like Mombasa, I want to be prayed up. I want to pray about everything, every person I will meet, every word I say, every home I visit. I want to be dependent on Jesus, believing his reason, his grave is empty. When I'm going to Muslims and they believe in Muhammad, I know Muhammad is still in a tomb somewhere. It's a big difference. So I have that confidence that I'm representing and he is with me, Jesus, who is alive. I also don't go looking for arguments and controversial discussions. I will start with what we can agree on. Usually it's the Old Testament. I start with the story of Abraham. I talk to them about the God of Abraham who called him and say, Abraham, I will make your name great. I will bless you for you to be a blessing to many other nations, to all the nations, all ethnicities. And when I'm saying that, I'm really knowing I'm representing Jesus who said, before Abraham was born, I am. And when I'm right there, I'm trusting that the reason Jesus will demonstrate his blessing to this man or woman or young person, usually they live in a lot of fear. They want real power, real protection. They live in a lot of guilt and shame. They want somebody who can solve that. They, they don't have a God who is merciful, a God who saves. And I bring those blessings by bringing Jesus. They also want demonstration. They just don't want you to analyze that Jesus rose thousands of years ago. If he's alive, show me the power. Deliver my kids from demonic attacks. How do I get over this shame? They are so open to the supernatural. Most of the rest of the world are open to the supernatural working of the living God. And many of them, especially the cultural Muslims, they have nothing against Jesus. The hardest obstacle for them is their own loved ones who will turn against them, will reject them, will kill them sometimes when they became Christians. The other obstacle is the culture, the Christian culture we have created that sometimes have so little or nothing whatsoever with Jesus. It's interesting. We do have to recognize that sometimes uh, Christians have created distractions that actually inhibit people from seeing Jesus for who he really is, which of course is the point. And when you do that, you pointed out another thing, there is a cost. When you see Jesus for who he is and you accept him on his terms, there is a cost associated with that. And we all have to weigh that cost as we uh, respond to him. You talked about the supernatural and uh, your, that world being maybe more open to it. A lot of people ask about supernatural things and miracles, Nate. Yeah, we got a lot of questions about miracles, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly healing and 
just kind of the, the supernatural world, I, I wanted to start on that topic by sort of defining the term and saying we kind of misuse that word. Miracle is one of those things. We call a lot of things miracles that actually aren't, right? So like in sports, we say, oh, that was a miracle. You know, well, it wasn't really a miracle. It was just improbable. Unless God himself told Matt Ryan not to run the ball and kick the field goal. You know, it was, like it wasn't a miracle. It was just, it just happened. I know it's hard so, for you to say that. I know that was hard. Uh, within the realm of the system that God has set up, it's just, it's not a miracle. Here's another one. Everybody wants to say, okay, even I had some friends just the last couple of days. They had babies. And everybody sees a beautiful new baby and they say, oh, what a miracle. But guess what? Your baby's not a miracle. So, <laughs> look, here's, this is Ray. He's a baby, very precious to me in my life. Uh, guess what, Ray? News for you. Not a miracle. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of other babies were born same day. Uh, here's, this is Trey. This is my godson, the small one, not the hairy one. Um, <laughs> so adorable, so cute, wonderful. Guess what? Not a miracle. <laughs> I, we know how this happened, right? I know his parents, okay? Um, <laughs> Maybe you should talk about that. No, we got other questions about oh, okay. that. That's for another day. <laughs> so here's what I'm saying. Um, we have what's called providence, which is the system that God has set up, right? That, and on the, we, that's opposed to miracles, right? Providence versus miracles. Providence is we grow wheat, we pick it, we, you know, we cook it and make bread. A miracle is manna falling from heaven, right? Providence is we develop medicines and, and use them to, to counteract diseases, a miracle is a healing that doctors could not explain, right, or raising from the dead. Um, providence is babies being born, right, by the natural processes. But a miracle is like a virgin birth, something like that. Now, maybe if you want to insist on the, the miracle of life on that kind of that scale, we could say uh, some have talked about miracles of continuity versus miracles of discontinuity. But when we're talking about miracles, we're sort of focusing on these miracles of discontinuity, the supernatural breaking into nature, right? Like C.S. Lewis said, an interference with nature by a supernatural power. A miracle is like this good thing that we just cannot explain with all of our normal tools and, and the normal system. So we got a bunch of questions about that, and uh, many of them centered around, sort of around this one. Do, do they still happen today? Do miracles still happen in our time? Uh, even if they happened in the Bible or whatever. So we're not going to debate whether or not they happened in the Bible. That's not what we're going to use our time for today. Um, you know, there are miracles all throughout the story. Uh, Old Testament, New Testament, manna from heaven, burning bush, God speaking in this crazy way. You know, Jesus uh, walking on water and calming storms and healing people and raising people from the dead. This stuff is in the story. And we, we have established a few things in this series already. Uh, and if you have not caught the previous weeks, I hope you will go back on the website, the YouTube page, the podcast, and, and listen to the messages. We've established uh, a few things. One, um, that we believe the Bible is trustworthy. We, we believe we can kind of count on it and believe the stories that it tells. Another thing is we believe, uh, we, we heart science. We love science. We love scientists. I've studied engineering myself. You know, we, we like this stuff, and we, we like to say science, science is awesome for, uh, for asking and answering questions about what and when and where and how. And then, of course, we also feel like we, we would establish pretty clearly we're people of faith, right? We're a church. Uh, and when we get sort of beyond the realm of science, then when we get into questions about, okay, but who is God? Uh, and especially those why questions, right? That takes us into the realm of faith. So we, all of that being sort of established and all that being said, do miracles happen today? Should we expect them? Should we count on them? Should we pray for them or ask for them? And our short answer is yes. I, I have seen some miracles. I have experienced some things that I, I don't think have any other explanation other than God's intervention 
in a supernatural way. Uh, these guys would tell you the same thing, and maybe you could say the same thing. Um, so what, what we would say is God has given us no reason to believe that he's done doing that, that he's finished working and intervening and interacting in our world and in our lives. So here, here's the deal. We are not what's called deists or deists. This is a belief that I think a lot of people actually are living out, whether they recognize it or not. It's a belief that says, yeah, there's a creator God, but he's kind of like the great clockmaker in the sky, and he set it all in motion, and he stepped away and sort of left us to ourselves. That is not biblical faith. That's not what we believe. We believe in this God who, who has revealed his character to us, to like, like what Luke has already said, he loves us, he cares about us, he wants to be in relationship with us. And so... Um, there are so many miracle stories, and um, it's like this. You ever play? Anybody ever play hide and seek with like a little kid? Yeah, that little kids. Yeah, my kids are real bad. Yeah, they're yeah. That, maybe that bad. Right. Like, that kid's not yeah. good at it either. Okay? Come find me. Come yeah. find me. So they they're bad at it, and they actually they're easy to find, and they want to right. be found. Actually, right? They want you to find them. And so we sort of believe that God is like that. There's this medieval German uh, theologian named Meister Eckhart. He had said one of my favorite quotes ever. He said. God is like a person who clears his throat while hiding and thus reveals himself. That's how we, God wants to be found by us, right? And so, you know, if we had an extra hour or two to sit here and tell miracle stories, well, that would be so great. And I hope this week around tables in your homes, if you have those stories to tell, use this as an occasion to just tell them this week, you know, share them with each other and with your friends. Um, but here's what we'll say just uh, on this topic with the time that, that remains. I would say one is that all of us have at least three miracle stories that are our own. They're yours and they're mine, and we can hold on to them and take them to the bank. One of them is the miracle of the incarnation. This is the Christmas story, right? This is God, God of creation, putting on flesh, just an old earthly body like you and me, and walking among us in Jesus Christ and living and becoming one of us. That's the miracle of the incarnation that is ours. The other one is the other central miracle of our faith, which is the miracle of the resurrection that has already been talked about. It's like not that death is conquered, right? That Jesus did that and that that can be ours as well. We can be resurrection people now and into the future because of that. That's a miracle. And then the other one is just your story. So maybe you were a miracle baby, right? The miracle of life that all of the universe has aligned and we are here, right? And not only that, but many of you know you have this sort of before Jesus and, and after Jesus life, and you know about the change, and you know that was God, right? Or I, I've been a Christian since I was real, real little, but I have this very clear picture of who I would be without Christ, and I just know that that change is supernatural. It's not just the natural playing out of, of the system that's there. So yes, miracles happen. And yes, I think we should seek them out and ask for them and hope for them and pray for them, but it's all about how we do that. Okay, that's really important. Yeah. One thing about miracles that we have to know is that they always happen on God's terms, right? Not on our own. So we get into the, there's uh, these words expect, expectation and expectancy. And I think expectancy is the way we want to be. When we, when we, pray with expectations. We sort of paint God into a corner. That's kind of the wrong way to do it. We say, God, I know you're going to heal this person on this day and in this way. And it's like, well, we don't know that, right? But we can pray. We can, we can pray in a way that is very faithful to what we do know of God. And we can say, God, 
I know you love us. I know you are a healer. I know you have this power. You pray in expectancy, but you realize that God has a higher perspective and that he may not, it may not play out the way that you want it to, but you pray in hope and expectancy and you call on God and just be really honest with your heart. As we think about that, we were thinking about a story that Anthony was sharing with us, a miracle story that we hoped you would share with the whole group. So uh, my mom came to visit from Kenya, stayed with us for a few months, and then after some time, we took her to the doctors, and she was diagnosed uh, with a cancer. It was terminal. But we prayed. I prayed and prayed for healing. And God did not answer as I was expecting. Pray, God, she can't die here. She's not a citizen. We don't have much insurance. Uh, she didn't want to go back home. I didn't know what to do. And even though she wasn't getting any better, I kept praying, conversing with God. What's going to happen? She didn't want to go. She didn't want to go back to be a burden to anybody. But after some time, I just asked her one morning, Mom, is it okay if you just go back, stay with my mama, with my sister, and then we do all we can to help? And to what I believe is answer to prayer, she said, yes, I will go. I remember seeing her off at BWI. That was the hardest decision ever that I've ever made. I felt like I contributed to her death. And that stayed with me. And I kept praying, God, like, God, keep her long enough. You have power, but I want to see her one more time. I didn't know how I will go back to Kenya. I didn't have a lot of money just to buy a ticket and go. But I kept on praying. Ten months later, I was able to go with a team. Went to do a seminar in Mombasa area, but we were able to go see her in Nairobi. The day I saw her, she was, she, she was up, she was dressed, and she had no pain. Nothing was hurting. She ate everything that day. <laughs> She called all family, most of the family members that she had not called. She said, I'm coming to visit. We're going to laugh and talk of the old. We dreamt of the future, that we're going to buy homes. We're going to go see animals. We're going to leave. I'm not sick anymore. The following day, because she didn't look sick, she, she looked like she's going to leave. I brought the whole team, and we prayed for her. Then the day after, I got a phone call that she had gone to be with Jesus. I saw a miracle in a way that God kept her until I was able to go. In that journey, God demonstrated to me such favor to me to be there at that time, to be able to say goodbyes, to be able to stay for a funeral. And I was, praised God, I couldn't be really angry with God. It's interesting, when you... There's a couple points along the way in that story. I was just sure it was going to end differently, um, and it didn't. I mean, it didn't end the way that you originally wanted it to when you started praying for her, but yet you entered into that prayer journey, kind of led you on a journey through prayer with God, and, and he showed up. He showed up in ways that were real, and you had that expectancy that, that he would, and he did, which, of course, is the point of miracles anyway, the point of the clearing the throat while you're hiding, while God is hiding, so that he would be revealed and be known. Um, you bring up, you talk about prayer and the prayer journey and praying, and a lot of people ask about prayer. We kind of 
get to that as a, as a topic too and handle that a little bit. A lot of people just simply ask, how do I pray? What's it about? How do I do it? You're you know, a small group leader. You probably fielded that question a lot. When someone comes to you and says, how do I pray? What, do you, what are the kinds of things you tell them? Usually I uh, will encourage them just to converse, talk to God, use your own words. He's there with you. The, the hardest thing for most people is just to come out and start talking like to the air. I say, believe He's right there with you. And if you're having a hard time to believe He's there with you, pray that you may believe that He's there. And then converse. Use your own language. Use your own words to express your feelings, your anger, your emotions. If you want to cry, just cry. But don't try to pray like Nathan or Luke. Just pray. <laughs> Just pray using your own. <laughs> the best advice of the day so yeah. far, right? <laughs> <laughs> we, we read about David in the Psalms, especially Psalm 13, where he's really expressing how he's feeling to God and asking, God, will you forget me forever? How long? Will it take you to answer my prayers? Will you now listen and answer to my prayers? David is saying. We can turn all our complaining into prayer. God is like our Father. He's always willing for us to go to Him, tell Him, you as parents, you know, and you love when your kids love you and come ask for things, some things you already know you will not give it to them. But God is like that. And most people sometimes can pray. Uncharged people in a crisis situation, a near accident situation, everybody prays, Jesus! I walk with Buddhists sometimes and she will say, oh my God! And I'm like, who is your God? Which God? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> in a crisis situation, that's prayer. And some people have testified how God came through. One time last summer, we were flying from Turkana to Nairobi in a small plane. And a student came sat next to me. And I started a conversation which I turned to a conversation about God. Told her about Jesus, asked whether she believed. She said, no, nah, not yet. My parents go. I don't think it's my time yet. So we went on and on, and she had all these excuses until we were near Nairobi, and the little plane hit some clouds. It had been raining, and it was shaken up pretty good. Almost everybody in that plane screamed, grabbing their chairs. Then I turned around to the student. I said, are you praying right now? <laughs> she almost said, what do you think? <laughs> Yes, I am praying. <laughs> I didn't preach no more. I thought God had done the part for me. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's good. Amen. Well, you talked about just bringing your honest emotions before God. You talk about turning your complaining into prayer. If you don't turn your complaining into prayer, you're just going to keep going on being hardened and complaining. But if you turn it into prayer, it's something you bring into your dialogue with God, he will meet you and change you through it and take you on that journey. Sometimes I've heard people say, which I think is what you're saying, just say the truest thing you can say to God. Mm. Right? 
Nate, how about you, as, you, as yeah. we close, what, what do you say to people who are asking how to pray? Well, I love that because we're all, we are praying creatures, right. whether we admit it or not, we are created to do that. And it comes out, you know. Um, I would just say, when I think through different things, I, a lot of times just use the good old five W's and a H, you know, who, what, when, where, why, how. And as we were thinking about prayer, I was thinking a lot of the who, what, and why we've already just kind of clearly established. Although we did get some questions on the who piece around the Trinity. Right. So like, do we pray to Jesus or to the Father or what's the Holy Spirit's deal, you know? And I would just say, kind of a guideline that I would pass along is, generally speaking, I think we sort of pray in the Spirit to the Father, through Jesus. But I would also, we would also say, don't get too hung up in that stuff because the, the Trinity is a mystery that we're never going to totally put words to. And God is three in one. And so just pray. Just pray to that God. And that whatever way works best for you, start there. If you want to pray to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit or to the Father, um, do that. In terms of the when and the where, <clears throat> I think a word that's important for me is intentionality. There's this tension in the life of prayer between sort of two things. One is 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, is one of the shortest verses in the Bible, says pray continually. So if we are Christians, we should be praying all the time. It should become like breathing to us, this communion and, and continual conversation with God. But on the other end of the spectrum of the tension is sort of like the fact that we know we need structure. We need intentional times of prayer when we're focused, when we're praying through a list of, you know, we're praying for people and for issues and we're maybe journaling about it. We gather like this. Um, and so I would, I would say you got to kind of manage that tension and see where you fall. I more naturally kind of do this thing. I, I'm better at just kind of praying continually throughout my day. Maybe you're not, so you need to make space for that. Turn off, turn off the radio and just pray while you drive or look for those little moments in your day to add prayer to the mix. But I need more help on the structure side. So I, you know, think about things like getting to worship services and being in a small group and these kind of things we talk about all the time. Those are super helpful for that. And also just like maybe there's a spot in your home. You know, maybe we have, I have a chair that I've sort of set aside and it's a place where anyone in our family can go to pray. Light a candle, you know, if that helps. Have some images that remind you of, of God and, and of Christ. Um, there's a great tradition of the church called Praying the Hours that... Uh, Christians around the world all the time are stopping morning, noon, evening, and night to just stop and pray. And that's really been important to, for me to add to my life. I'm not always great at it. There's this little book called Hour by Hour that I just use. Uh, many people use like the Book of Common Prayer, these types of resources. There's apps that can help you uh, to do that. This, this has been helpful for me. This is another one that's similar. It's called the Paraclete Psalter, which is just a, a psalm book. Uh, Paraclete means has to do with the Holy Spirit. And it's just Similarly, a daily book of prayer centered in the Psalms. And I would say figure out what those resources are for you. Um, the, the, the remaining question is how. How do we pray? And um, <clears throat> I would say think about these three things. Think about your words. And Anthony and Luke already said this so beautifully. Just say the truest thing you know how to say to God in a given moment. Don't worry about being fancy or proper. Just worry about being real and being honest before God your real words. Secondly, I'd say think about the church's words. If you can't come up with the words, if you're not satisfied with your own words, that's okay because we've been given amazing words in Scripture, the book of the Psalms, the prayers of Jesus, and all the other prayers in the Scriptures, and, and the prayers of the church throughout the ages. Uh, lean into those. You're not like stealing or plagiarizing. Those are, you've been given those. These are our words to use in prayer, so use them and lean into them.
And then thirdly, I would just say, how about no words sometimes? And just in my own journey, particularly in recent years, I've just been sort of sick of my own words, and they feel so uh, insufficient. Um, this is a little bit of an occupational hazard when you work in ministry. I know my stepdad, he's joking, but whenever we're at family gatherings, he'll say, all right, Nathan, say the blessing. You're the licensed professional, you know? Right. And I was just like, uh, but I just, um, I've been leaning a lot more into the church's words and even into silence because just as I've realized that prayer is supposed to be a conversation, if I'm talking more than half the time, that's maybe not a great conversation. So I've just been trying to listen and lean into silence in my prayer life in recent years. Those are just a few things I would yeah. say. And prayer, I've just come to see it as such a gift. And it really, it's amazing when you think about uh, who God reveals himself to be and all of his power and wonder and majesty and God on his throne. You get those images as you read the scriptures to think that he would even entertain a request that we would make, that he would even listen to us is, is amazing. You could say that's a miracle, I guess, that God would arrange things in such a way and would be mindful of us to hear us. And the scriptures is God's voice speaking to us, but the scriptures words and the prayers of the saints and resources like that give us a voice to think that we could have a voice before God. It's a tremendous gift. And I think um, the punchline for us is, you know, use the gift, take what has been given to you and communicate with the God who wants to have that conversation with you. And, and just, we always would want to say that when you're praying, it may, God may or may not choose to change your circumstances, right. but he will always change you. That's kind of the point. You enter into that relationship, and it transforms who you are and how your relationship to God is. And I think let's pray right now. We, we want to be a, a praying church, and let's, let's close our time in prayer as we think about creating space for prayer. Interestingly, we always do that at all of our campuses. There's people down front after every service ready to pray. If that's something you just need to, you got something burdening you, you need to bring it into an arena of prayer before God and with, with his church. There's people ready to do that at the front. We also create a space. If you're new, you're trying to find your way in this community or with God, we'd love to welcome you to MI5. Go to the spot uh, for MI5 right after the service is over. And uh, we'd love to welcome you and have a gift for you and so forth. But as we close our time, let's pray. And you talked about silence. Let's experience some silence. Let's give God a chance to speak uh, in these moments. And we'll just be quiet for a moment, a minute, long enough to be uncomfortable, right? And then we'll add our voice to prayer. And Anthony, just on all our behalf, would you add our voice to prayer as we close our time today? Let's be quiet before the Lord. Dear Jesus, we know you're here. Mm -hmm. We want to ask that you teach us how to pray. Yeah. Teach us how just to come to you and present ourselves and what is in our hearts and minds and situation. We pray and we ask that we be a church, a people, who follow you and who pray more, that you can say this is a church and a house of prayer. 
Just give us a hunger. Enlarge that ability to come to you and converse with you and listen from you. And to go out and do what you say, do. Those of us who need wisdom, need how, the knowledge of how to live and what to do in the circumstances we are in, we pray that you will give us your wisdom. As though those of us here who came this morning really looking for you, looking for a miracle that is supernatural, that nobody will be able to explain, and we present them to you. Whether it's sickness and disease, whether it's financial, whatever situation it is, we lift it to you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And pray you demonstrate your love, your reach, your touch to that one person or several people here who are crying out to you and asking, Jesus, where are you right now? And you're here in this house and you want to show that you're alive. So we yield to you. We present what seems to be impossible to your supernatural possibilities. So thank you, Jesus. We glorify your name. We love you. We worship you and pray that we will see you through the week. And for the rest of our lives, everybody here will know that indeed you are risen, you are alive. And you love us more than we can ever imagine. This in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 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 We'll see you next week.